Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my man, Andrew Mason. And before we hop into what I think is a very interesting conversation, I have to tell you about our friends over at MSU Denver Online. Big shout out to them. They are a presenting sponsor of this podcast. And big shout out for what they do. They provide an affordable, dynamic education online so you don't have to stop your job in order to get an education you continue to live your life and work your job while also earning an education you can do that just a couple classes at a time or you can go and earn an entire degree over at msu denver online and the cool thing is it's the exact same degree whether you're online or in person so make sure to check them out whether you want to take one class or you want to go and get in a degree so check them out over at msu denver online my boy mace how are you doing my friend I'm fine. I'm hoping my connection holds up better than it did last time we were on StreamYard. You look good right now. No, well, thank you. Well, knock on wood. We'll see how it goes here. And uh, we'll see how this pod goes because I'm not sure, Mace, where you are on this topic. And that's what I love when I don't know which direction this conversation is going to take. And let's just hop right into it now. So we know the Broncos first week of the offseason conditioning program, they dropped a hype video on Tuesday that showed the players working out. They were grinding. They were in the weight room. They were tossing balls against there. And the one thing that I took from that was there was a, uh, a little clip of a player wearing a shirt and the back of the shirt. All it said was win the West. And I thought, ah, oh, interesting. That's kind of the, the motto, the, the, what they're striving for this season, at least on a shirt. And that gave me the idea that that's kind of the initial preaching point for Nathaniel Hackett to this team is win the 
West. And so I put it out on social media and a lot of people loved it. And a lot of people thought, oh, come on, Broncos. You should be shooting for more. You should be shooting for the AFC Championship. You should be shooting for the Super Bowl. And uh, I want to know what your initial impressions are of that. I mean, it's just a slogan. I, I think we're <laughs> I, we're making too much of this. Now, that being said, it's a good it's a good first goal. But at the same time, we saw how Tampa Bay back in 2020, Tom Brady's first season there, they didn't win the South and they won the Super Bowl because they got hot, won three games on the road in the postseason, and then uh, were able to come back home for the Super Bowl and defeat the Kansas City Chiefs. So. It's one of those things where you don't necessarily need to win the West to win to to win the Super Bowl. It helps, and I think if you're talking about a club that's had five straight losing seasons, I think certainly saying, "All right, let's win the division." That's a, that is a good first step. And oh, by the way, if you win the West, that means you've beaten out the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes and the Chargers and Justin Herbert and the Raiders with uh, with Derek Carr and Darren Waller and Max Crosby and. Devonte Adams. So, if you win the West, you are a legit Super Bowl contender. I, I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other. It's just a slogan. It's just words. I've seen enough slogans come and go around Dove Valley to where I just pretty much shrug at them. Meh. Well, saying it's just slogans and just words. I mean, that is what's being preached to the team. So, I, I don't think it's just like something that we should we should shrug off. Because that that is what this team is trying to buy into right now. But Mace, I gotta say, I'm okay with it. And you know, you you threw out some good reasons why it's okay for that to be the goal for this season. And also, just because that's a goal doesn't mean it's the only goal. You know, it doesn't mean that the Broncos, when they win the AFC West, they're not going to show up for their playoff game. No, but if they win the AFC West. That's probably going to be a successful season because it means they're in the playoffs. It means they're hosting a playoff game. And from where the Broncos have been these past few years, Super Bowl or bust is totally gone. It is totally out the window. Now, with Russell Wilson, that mentality is creeping back in. And it's creeping back in very quickly, by the way. But I don't think we should be there just yet in this very first season. And Mace, I was trying to think about this in, in, in a, in a non-football way. Let's say Brandon Spano, the, the, the CEO and owner of DNVR. Let's say he came to, to us and said, I want DNVR Broncos podcast and the DNVR Broncos beat to be the biggest football podcast and the biggest football beat in the entire world this year. We would say, okay, I mean, come on. We're just covering the Broncos now. There's some huge national platforms out there, and we're only on year five of this right now. There's people that have been around for decades doing this. We'd say, you're, you're kind of crazy. You're kind of losing us. And everything else he would kind of say after that wouldn't carry necessarily as much uh, as much weight because we'd just be thinking he's, he's a little crazy. Now, if he said, I want you guys to be the biggest Broncos podcast in the world and the biggest Broncos, uh, the biggest podcast in Denver and the biggest podcast in the AFC. And I want you to be maybe even the biggest team podcast that that's focused on one team in the country. We'd say, 
Let's go do it. That's a realistic goal. We we can strive for that. Let, let's do that. And that would carry a little more weight. And I think that's what Nathaniel Hackett is trying to do here. He's not trying to come in and lose his credibility here on day one by saying, we should be the best team in the NFL right now. Look, he knows the situation he's coming into. He knows he's coming into a team that has had a historic drought after winning the Super Bowl. No team has missed the playoffs this many years after winning a Super Bowl than the Denver Broncos. And so I think he's really he's trying to be realistic with these guys. He knows he's here for the long haul. He's not on a one-year prove-it deal. So I think that's what he's trying to do, build some credibility uh, and, and really have a real connection with these guys instead of just you know th- throwing them smoke, which they can see right through right away. Under-promise, over-deliver. That's that that's that's what I that that's generally what I believe. Um and then anything beyond what you promise it's kind of a, a pleasant surprise. Uh, so that that's another reason why I'm okay with that. When it, I mean it's it's ambitious against who you're going against the AFC West, yes, but I think it's it's a it's a reasonable first step. And Playoff and the other thing is playoff outcomes. They can be kind of random and fluky anyway. I mean, uh, you you know, for example, go back ten years ago when the Broncos have the number one seed in the AFC, but Champ Bailey has a bad day. Uh, Raheem Raheem Moore lets the receiver get get behind him. Uh, you have Matt Prater, who's been aces all year, whose foot catches uh, the ground on a field goal attempt, and boom, you're you're out. So, I. I I tend to get a little bit nervous when you promise anything beyond the 17 game sample size of, of the regular season playoffs. It's, it's one and done. Anything can happen on a particular day. Case, case, sarah, sarah, every cliche in the book, but the division you've got that over 17 games. That's a, that's a much larger sample size. It's, it's much less, uh, it's much less prone to uh, being influenced by flukish uh, circumstances. So, that's another reason why I look at it and say, "Hey, fine. That's that. That's a that's a great that's a great goal." And you and the other thing is, you you win the West, you're in the playoffs. It's kind of a it's a it's a stair step thing, right? You take one step before you worry about the next step. Yep. You take and winning the West sounds better than make the playoffs. Win the West, and I think that's some. There's something to that as well. You want a slogan that has a little bit of punch to it. I think making the being a playoff team is actually the goal. If you're setting a goal for this year, being in the playoffs is probably it. But, you know, puncture ticket to the playoffs, make the playoffs, uh, be playing in mid-January. None of those as a slogan have punched the way win the West does. And so some of it is just simply, okay, what sounds best? What What's going to linger in someone's mind? Win the West. It's got the alliteration with the two W's. There you go. That's your slogan. Yep, it, it does. And Nathaniel Hackett is actually kind of publicly taking this perspective at it, too, of, of it being a slow build. Over the weekend, he told Albert Breer this. I'm going to read a full quote here. Uh, he said, look at basketball. Well, look when LeBron goes somewhere new. I mean, it's not like they jump right in and win it. People have to mold together. The idea is to get that mold to happen as fast as you possibly can. We did a great job finding ways to win games that first year in Green Bay. And that's, then that second year is where I felt like it was the best offense I've been a part of. So what he's saying there is we can do great things. 
in year one. We can have a great offense. We can have a great team, but it's not going to click right away. In fact, that year two is when it's really going to click. And just look, I mean, look, look at what he did in Green Bay. He's exactly right. Then what, what happened in his second and third year in Green Bay? Aaron Rodgers was the MVP. They were the number one seed both years. So it really clicked. Look what happened with Patrick Mahomes. Now, his first year, he was a rookie. He didn't play. So his first year of starting, he was great. He was the MVP. What happened his second year? That's when they went and won the Super Bowl. So you can look at a lot of examples uh, of this and say, okay, it does take a year or two. And then you can also say, look at the past two Super Bowl champs, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford. They got it going right away. It only took them one year to win the Super Bowl. But what, what we're seeing is it's not going to be a three or four year transition. It's going to be a one or two year transition. Nathaniel Hackett's saying, slow down people, pump the brakes a little bit. It's going to be good in year one, but year two is where it seems like he really expects it to then be Super Bowl or bust. One thing with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay and Matthew Stafford in Los Angeles is that both of them arrived uh, arrived with teams that had veteran head coaches. I mean, it seems weird to say this about Sean McVay. Sean McVay just completed his fifth year as a head coach, and he hasn't had a losing season. And, of course, Bruce Arians has been around the block several times, whereas Nathaniel Hackett, First-time head coach. You got a first-time defensive coordinator. You have Dwayne Stukes uh, moving from assistant special teams coach in L.A. to special teams coach here. You have Justin Outen as a first-time offensive coordinator who isn't going to call the place. So you have that plus a new quarterback coming in plus a, a new scheme. I think it's re. I think it's okay to kind of dial down the expectations. The other thing is this. I mean, we know obviously what happened here with Peyton Manning ten years ago. And he came in and the Broncos went 13 and three. But don't forget that 13 and three happened not only because the Broncos were good, but because their division was an absolute dumpster fire around it. The Chargers, <laughs> seven and nine. The then Oakland Raiders, four and 12. The Kansas City Chiefs, two and 14. That's what led to them hiring Andy Reid. You have and the really, exact really quick going on right now. And let's not forget what happened the year before in the division. The Broncos won the division, eight, riding eight. a losing streak yeah. going into the playoffs at just eight and eight. So you're absolutely right. The, yeah. And this division couldn't be more different 10 years later. Every team has a franchise quarterback. Every team has a quarterback that is 40, that is worth $40 million or more. Now, maybe not getting paid that right now, but I think we can all agree Derek Carr is getting 40. Everyone else in the division should get 40. And then they all seem to, well, I, Outside of the Raiders, they all seem to have promising coaches, and I guess some people can make the case that Josh McDaniels could be a promising coach. Uh, and in fact, Denver, I think we're still in wait and see mode with Josh McDaniels there. But there's a lot of positives going on in the AFC Watch, which is not just going to potentially hold the Broncos down; it's going to hold everyone in the division down. If you win that division, you've accomplished something. I mean, even if the Bron- you you win the division and you don't and you fall short in the playoffs, well, okay, that's tough. And you're heartbroken, but you win the AFC West and you you did something, I wouldn't say remarkable, but you did something meaningful. If and you Mason, if you win this group. And that's I think why win the West means more than you know, let's go win the AFC South. Win the West means you just won the best division in football. It means you just won potentially one of the best divisions in NFL history. If you win the West, 
you're not just winning the division. You are hosting a playoff game, which you should have a great chance of beating whoever you're hosting because you are the winner of the best division in the NFL. And you're a legitimate Super Bowl team. Whoever wins the West this year, whether it's the Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs, or Broncos, they are legitimate Super Bowl contenders because they will be battle-tested uh, and, and they will be really good going into the playoffs. So with that slogan, win the West, it's not just Nathaniel Hackett saying, let's just let's just win the division and then we're done there. No, if they, if they win the West, they are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. So instead of saying win the West, the T-shirt could, could say, let's be legitimate Super Bowl contenders. And it would be the exact same thing as saying, let's win the West. Yeah, exactly. If you if you do that, you're a contender. Shoot, if you finish second in the West, you're a Super Bowl contender, and you're yep. probably in the playoffs. Yep. So, in fact, I wouldn't be shocked if all four teams in the AFC West make the playoffs. You can get that over mm. at DraftKings at plus two thousand, which is crazy, and that'll be the first time in history that's ever happened. Yeah, I would be very surprised at that because I think if they're if they're all that good they're going to hold each other down a little bit and don't forget they're all going they're going against the entire NFC West as well and i mean we're so focused on the AFC West let's not forget that the NFC West features the def- features the defending Super Bowl champion another team that just made the NFC Championship game and a team that won 11 games last year and uh if you're talking about the first two thirds of the season, the Arizona Cardinals are tough. So between that and division play, I would, I would definitely not bet on all four AFC West teams to, to make the, to make the playoffs. And also the rest of the AFC is strong too. So that, and so that alone, I think is going to uh, probably prevent is probably going to prevent all four from making it. One of these teams that has super Bowl aspirations, at least one, maybe even two of them, when the playoffs start, they're going to be on the sideline. And Which a lot of people crazy. outside of Denver, a lot of people outside of Denver think one of those teams that's going to be with their nose pressed against the glass is the Broncos. And in the comments section, so in Broncos country, a lot of people are saying the Chargers will miss the playoffs. Mr. Orange is saying it. We have Jose saying it. Uh, we also have Jules uh, saying, I think playoffs shall be the goal. Not more, not less. It's a new coaching staff. So everybody has to come together first. Jules, you, you probably have your head on straight. That's probably the right take. It's just not as juicy as people want. But we really appreciate everyone tuning in live for this early pod. We'd really appreciate it if you give us a thumbs up over on YouTube. If you're watching on Twitter, hop over to YouTube, hit us with the thumbs up, subscribe, on alert because a lot of you comments and pointed out we're going early today. The Broncos have media availability, so we wanted to make sure we got a good pod in, and that made us go early. And if you turn on alerts and subscribe, you'll be notified that we're going early on days like this. Tomorrow we'll be back at the normal noontime. We've got an awesome three-ring circus plan with our guy, D-Lineco, Eric Weedham. It's going to be an absolute blast, and something that is also an absolute blast is coming by the DNVR bar for Avs and Nuggets playoffs Saturday. It all starts at 6.30 p.m. when the Nuggets take on Golden State. The bar is going to be hopping. You've got to be there because it is going to be a blast. There's no better place for Nuggets and Avs than over at the DNVR bar. And, of course, if you want to get all of our coverage of Avs playoffs, Nuggets playoffs, Rockies hot start, the Broncos great next decade of football, Go to thednbr.com where we've got the best coverage because for those of you tuning in on YouTube and the podcast side, we also have a 
full website where we put articles out, videos out, breakdowns, everything you need over at thednbr.com. And so check us out when you do. You get a free T-shirt, and you also get a member-sized beer, which is a big beer for the price of a small beer over at the bar. So check out everything we've got going on at thednbr.com. You're going to be excited probably watching the Nuggets uh, coming up here in the playoffs and the Avs in their stretch. You're going to be excited if you come on down the DNVR bar, but uh, you're probably going to need to get some sleep after that. And something that will help you get to sleep are Wana Optimal's Fast Asleep 20 to 100 THC CBD. You need to catch up on some Should I for the big game. You can get that and much more over at Light Shade Dispensary. Of course, they're all over the Denver area. You can shop online at lightshade.com. Use the code DMVR, get 25% off, and you can shop online make your order and then go pick up at a light shade location near you. They've got 11 convenient locations along the front range, including a new one at, at sixth Avenue and federal Boulevard. That's the biggest light shade store. They've got specialty products not offered at other locations. Now, no matter what location you go to from April 20th through April 26th, you're going to be able to get 420 specials. Yes, we're coming up on 420 for a lot of people. That's a magic day. And over at lightshade.com, lightshade dispensary, you're going to get five best selling products. That'll be buy one, get one for $1 from April 20th to the 26th. Lightshade's got something for everyone from the casual consumer to the connoisseur. They've got a premium selection of cannabis concentrates, top shelf flour, edibles, tinctures, accessories. And much more. And like I mentioned, of course, of course, those Wana Optimals Fast Asleep 20 to 100 CTHC CBD. They've got the Wana Optimals Fast Asleep Gummies, plant-based solution that'll tackle the root cause of sleeplessness, like stress and pain, rather than slim, simply inducing drowsiness. They'll have your eyelids feeling heavy in just five to fifteen minutes. So you know what? If you're having trouble getting to sleep, check out those fast asleep gummies over at Light Shade Dispensary. Remember. Use the code DMVR for 25% off each purchase at lightshade.com or at any of the 11 lightshade locations up and down the front range. Whether you're at the DNVR bar or whether you're at home watching in Denver or even outside of Colorado, you got to have a Breck brew with you at the bar. You're going to be hooked up with all the Breck brews you need and the member size glasses. And if you aren't at the bar, go to Breck Beer's website. Go to the Breck Beer locator in the top right-hand corner of their website to find the closest Breck beer to you. And it's really cool. You get a breakdown of what beers they have and where they are closest to you because you're going to need the official beer of DNVR while you're supporting your abs and nuggets in the playoffs. And man, the weather's warming up. It's strawberry sky season. We want to see people tag us on Twitter on Fridays when it's a Breck Brew Friday. So do that tomorrow. Get the official beer of DNBR. That is Breckenridge Brewery. All right, Mace, we've got a couple prospects to break down in our series of continuing to break down guys that can potentially be there for the Broncos at the 64th overall pick. And let's hop into one of them, running back Isaiah Spiller. And a shout out to our draft guys, Dre and Jake, for putting together a little piece on them. And Isaiah Spiller. Running back out of Texas A&M, six foot one, two hundred and fifteen pounds. So has good size for a running back, and he's a guy that is viewed as being a, a piece that can kind of do it all. He can really be a three-down running back, uh, and so that—that's what Isaiah Spiller's viewed at. Mace, what do you think of him? I mean, he's a good all-round running back, like you mentioned. His uh, he's had eight fumbles over the years, so you're going to have to watch out for that. He did 
take some weight off this past offseason, which I think made him a complete, a more complete running back. There are no holes in his game. However, the thing that you question is uh, there's not a lot. There, there's nothing that he does like perfectly like there. And in fact, we're going to discuss two players today, and both of them kind of have the same thing, same thing in that. They're good all-around prospects, but they don't necessarily have elite traits, and that's why you're talking about them, uh, about Spiller and others being in the second in the second round mix. That being said, I don't like the value here for the Broncos taking a running back at 64 in round two. Yeah, I, I don't either. It, it would have to be a special running back. It would have to be a Javante Williams type of running back in order for the Broncos to give him in the second. But the thing is, Mace, the Broncos have Javante Williams. They just got him in the second round. Now, the Broncos do need depth at running back, and I wouldn't be mad if they used a day two pick on a running back, but I think you got to wait until the third round. In fact, you probably got to wait until that last pick in the third round. If you trade back in the third round, then you can you can use maybe one of, if you have three third round picks at that point, you can use one of those picks. Uh, but you're right. Isaiah Spiller just doesn't move the needle that much. Andre and Jake said the strengths, good vision and instincts. He's a natural runner, only 541 carries at Texas A&M, so he's got fresh legs. However, his weaknesses are poor testing results at his pro day and limited receiving ability but has shown potential to me. It's, it's just, it's Javante Williams light and, you know, pretty light. He could be a good running back in the NFL, but it doesn't make that much sense. Although the Broncos, they could benefit from a guy that's similar to Javante in terms of uh, the second running back, because you do have Mike Boone, who's that explosive receiving back. So you don't necessarily need that. I think what you kind of need, Mace, is you need a guy that can step in for Javante. Uh, if, and I, I'm knocking on wood right now, I'm touching wood. If Javante were to get hurt, you kind of need a workhorse to step in. So I kind of like the the comp of Isaiah Spiller. I just don't like having to use that second that that second round pick. And, and it's funny, like we, I guess, reason people can disagree. I, I one of the things I liked that, that I did like about Spiller, do like about Spiller, is he is a solid receiver. The numbers didn't always uh, match that. He had, for example, gives twenty five catches last year. Wasn't used terribly often, but he's not a negative player as a, as a receiver. He's also a pretty solid blocker. Again, you look at his game and there's, there's not a glaring hole. There are things he could, he could do better. And certainly for example, a comparison with uh, Javante Williams, he does not break tackles anywhere near what uh, Devante uh, Javante Williams does. Pardon me. So that's, that's something that I think uh, if, if you brought him in, I think he'd be clearly a running back too. And I think he'd stay a running back too. And if that's the case, I don't think that's the best use of a second round pick here. If you, even at 64, if you're picking a running back at pick 64, this is somebody who I think should be at worst a 1A, if not push Javante Williams to be the outright number one. I don't see that in Isaiah Spiller right now. Yep, I completely agree with you, Mason. It's just that that's a strength of the Broncos right now. Is there running back one? You're using a second round pick to get a running back one, a.k.a. what Javante Williams is. Okay, so so we've agreed that that's probably not the best use. But not, not just, it's nothing against Isaiah Spiller himself. It's just, man, you'd have to find someone really special to draft in the second round. And a really special guy is probably going to go in the first round. So for this year, it doesn't make sense for the Broncos to go running back with that 64th overall pick. And now we have an interesting conversation about another guy where the Broncos don't have a glaring need, but maybe they have more of a need than at running back. And let's turn to D. 
DNVR athlete and CSU and Colorado native Trey McBride. You can tell I'm excited about Trey McBride, a captain for the Rams up in Fort Collins. Of course, Trey McBride, a dominant tight end from CSU, 6'4", 246 at the at the at the uh, senior bowl he was listed at 63 a little less than 246 uh or, or 249 uh and his strengths are profiles is a complete wide tight end dynamic receiver with a great catch radius and his weaknesses not an impressive size slash athletic testing profile can can overextend and lunge as a blocker in space mace what are your initial Thoughts about Trey McBride for the Broncos at 64. I mean, the, I think you hit the nail on the head when he said when they said he's a Y and be, he can line up in line and he's not a perfect blocker, but he's a he like they said, not the, not as good in space, but he's good work. He's going to be good working in line when you ask him to chip and help out the tackle. He's going to be able to do that. And he does have enough pass catching ability there he he does he does have the ability to run to to take care of all the branches of the route tree as it were you can put him out there and you're not and an opponent isn't going to know at the snap if he's going to stay in and block if he's going to if he's going to fan out he's yet we know that he's effective enough in space to be able to make plays at the senior bowl. He certainly did that as well at higher level of competition than he was seeing on a regular basis in the mountain West conference. And so that's the kind of thing that um, gives you confidence. Uh, One thing I know there are some that say he had what one touchdown last year. I'd say part of that was a function of, uh, of CSU's offense. Right. So I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about that. He's a heck of a player. Um, at if he's there at sixty four, or even if he's there at like fifty nine or sixty, mm. I'd consider a trade up at that point. Yeah, you're speaking my language there, Mace. I love it. Uh, Trey McBride is not a physical specimen. He he's not. He's not Rob Gronkowski. He's not a guy that walks into a room and you're like, oh my goodness, that's an offensive lineman. Oh no, he's a tight end. No, you you know that he's not a big tight end. In fact, when you see him, he looks like a small tight end. And that was kind of my, my first reaction when we saw him down in person uh, at, at in mobile during the senior bowl, I, we, we all saw him and thought, Oh my gosh, he's really small. And I, I can't, I can't lie. I was worried. I was thinking, Oh my gosh, was the competition that he was playing at in the mountain West? Just, just that small, just not that good. And that's why he dominated, not actually because he's that good. And so I was worried for about 10 minutes until they started uh, some one-on-one drills, until they started doing 11-on-11, and his size didn't matter. He he lined up against the offensive lineman, and it was still like, oh, geez, he looks really small. And then he would just dominate defensive linemen in, in the run game. He would still be getting open against cornerbacks and linebackers and safeties and coverage, and he was just making it look easy. It looked just like he looked in the Mountain West, and so that alleviated all of my concerns about his size and the fact that at the combine he measured in at 64 I like that more than 63 but just don't be surprised if the Broncos draft him and you see him in person you see him standing next to uh Albert O and you're like wow he's a lot smaller than I thought don't let that worry you because it worried me and then when he was on the football field that was completely gone he does have really long arms which does help with his catch radius gives him those extra 2 inches that he's kind of lacking from being that six, five. Uh, and as a blocker, he isn't incredible, 
but he's he's really good. Uh, and some people are saying, is he a better blocker than Noah Fant? He would instantly be the team's second best tight end blocker uh, because they have a tight end blocking specialist, probably not as good as him right away, but he would be certainly a more well, well-rounded than Albert O right away. And Mace, my question to you is, if the Broncos draft Trey McBride, is he their number one tight end week one? He could be because he's the best all round option they have. Now, that being said, he's not he's not quite as dynamic down the field as Albert Okwebunam, and he's not as devastating a blocker as Eric Tomlinson can be, but he's the best mix of both. Right now, if you've got an issue with a tight end position, it's that you have one guy who is strictly – a, a blocker as a Y. And then you have one guy who in Okwebunam who is strictly a move tight end in space. They're going to try to train him to where maybe he can go alongside Tomlinson and maybe he can improve a, a little bit as a blocker. But I think we've seen enough in two years to know that, that as a blocker, Okwebunam is not going to be a plus player. And if you want kind of uh, evidence of, of his struggles there. Just look back at uh, week 18 against Kansas city and the, and the miss that leads to the Melvin Gordon fumble there in the red zone. That's returned all the way for a touchdown. So because of that, I think you're, you're, you're looking for some, for somebody who can do, do all things and be your every down option and give you maximum versatility and flexibility in terms of what you're doing formationally and what you're doing when you break, break the huddle. You can't like, if you see Trey McBride in line, if you're a defense, you can't sleep on him uh, taking advantage of a one-on-one matchup against an edge and beating him. You can't sleep on him staying in to help out Billy Turner or help out, help out, um, Garrett Bowles on the other side in in chipping. There's a, that versatility means that you can catch an opponent off guard. Right now, you're kind of tipping your hand a little bit. Whether you use Tomlinson or Oak Webunam, you're not tipping your hand if you have Trey McBride out there. And that's why I think it would not take long for him to be your primary tight end at the Broncos drafting. Yeah, I mean, he 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 instantly opens up the Broncos offense, gives Nathaniel Hackett so much flexibility in terms of what can, he can do. And like you said, the defense won't know what you're doing when Trey McBride is out there. And so I like this pick, hmm. and I don't think it has to mean the end of Albert O here. Look, Nathaniel Hackett already, already admitted Albert O is going to be more of a receiver to start because he still has to develop his game as a, as a full tight end a lot more. And I love that Nathaniel Hackett is taking taking that approach with Alberto instead of saying he's not going to see the field until he can be an all around tight end and block. He's saying, we're going to work on him being a blocker. And as we work on him being an all around tight end, he's still going to see the field where he's really good right now. And that is that as a, as a receiver. Now you get into the question and the issue of Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, Alberto, Trey McBride, Javante Williams, how, how do you get all these guys on the field at once? And that's one thing that Trey McBride, if the Broncos draft him, it's going to cause some issues. Now, it's not all bad issues, but it's going to push someone off the field. And it may not be Alberto. It's probably going to be Alberto more times than not. But who are you taking off the field? We've already said it a lot this offseason. In fact, going back all the way from to when K.J. Hamler got hurt last year. K.J. Hamler, we're not counting on him. So he's probably taken, in our minds going into this season, he's probably taken K.J. Hamler off the field a little bit more. But then you still have 
Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Albert O, Trey McBride. You're not going to be running uh, five wide receiver sets every single down because you got to get Javante Williams in there too. So who are you taking off the field? Is it really talented first round pick Jerry Judy? Is it Tim Patrick who you're paying $11 million to? It's probably going to be Albert O a lot of the time, but also don't you want to line up too wide or, or too tight end and then have those guys go out for some mismatches. So that's something that George Payton kind of has to weigh. Okay, how much of a luxury pick is this compared to other positions that we need? Outside linebacker depth, inside linebacker depth, cornerback depth for the future. And the thing about all of these other positions is we're really talking about for the future for the future, for the future at outside linebacker. You're not going to get an outside linebacker that's starting this year unless, knock on wood, one of those guys is hurt. You're not going to get a starting inside linebacker this year because you've already got your guys. Safety, you've already got your guys. Corner, you've already got your guys. This is one spot that you can get a legitimate starter, and especially in this player from day one in Trey McBride. Well, you rallied off the other positions. You said depth, depth, depth. You don't have an all-around tight end right now. No. You've got a blocking tight end, you have a move tight end in space. You don't have somebody who projects as a player who's going to be able to go in line, who has enough route running ability to be able to be moved out in space from time to time. There's going If you draft Trey McBride, there's going to be time for him. Yeah, it's probably going to take from Tomlinson, probably take from Albert Oakwebunam, and maybe you're sometimes you're running more two tight end sets, and so maybe sometimes you're taking – Jerry Judy off. You're taking uh, Cortland Sutton off. You're taking Tim Patrick off. You know what? That's okay. Uh, we're not. These guys weren't going to play 100 percent of the snaps anyway. So you, it it, it gives you more flexibility and allows you to kind of be a little bit of a chameleon from week to week. If you, you know, if you if you want to develop a dynamic offense that can attack every opponent with their weakest, you need options. I mean, you got to think uh, kind of uh, Belichicky in here, right? Okay. If you see a team that is really weak covering inline tight ends when they when they when they flare out in space off the snap, then you know what? That's going to be a big a big day for Trey McBride. If you're looking at a team that is really weak at the third corner, uh, then okay, maybe it's going to be a little less uh, uh, McBride and uh, it's going to be a little little more Jerry Judy. You you can adapt from week from week to week based on this, and it's also a good long term play because. Albert Okwebenam, he's already halfway into his uh, fir first contract, and he really hasn't gotten anywhere near where you need him to get as a blocker. And Tom Winston's on a short-term deal as well, so I think it's got short and long-term benefits if you dra if you draft McBride that exceed Man, that it, maybe it's... exceed what you can get from another position. But again, he's got to fall that far. Some like Mel Kiper Jr. thinks he will. Dane Brugler, for example, did a mock draft and had him only falling to pick sixty. Yeah, and for me, I wouldn't be shocked if I was a team falling in love with him at the end of the first, the, be the beginning of the second. Now, the good news is it does seem like a lot of these mock drafts have him falling to the second pretty darn often. And so that could make the Broncos make a move. And, and Mace, you said you'd be okay moving up from 64 to 59 or 60. Mm -hmm. I'd be okay moving all the way up until the, the middle of the second round in order to get him. I am a huge Trey McBride fan. And Jose has a, has a really important question here. Mace, can he start the season off by running a tight end reverse? I'd like to think we retired <laughs> that uh, in these parts after what happened in 2019. 
I mean, unfortunately, when I think of the Rich Gangarello era, I think of two tight end end arounds at the worst possible time. I mean, yeah. I, the the one against against the Raiders was kind of laugh it was was kind of worth the laugh for, to start the season. The one against the Vikings probably cost them a game. Yeah. The wrong call at the wrong time. <laughs> it really was, and that was uh, that was Noah Fant's first play in the NFL, wasn't it? Uh, against the Raiders, yeah, it was the first. Yeah, because he, he was a rookie. He was a so, rookie. oh my gosh, you you would have these such similar parallels. A first time, uh, or the Broncos' first time play caller on his very first play, handing it off to a tight end, making his first snap in the NFL. Man, the parallels there would be too mm-hmm. scary for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> I will say we've got uh, we've got someone. Uh, I think Jules has a say has them has saying could also see the Broncos drafting a punter. You know, Matt Areza out of San Diego State, who has those ridiculous blasts, there are some saying that Areza could sneak into round three. I guess oh. pick 95 or 96, right? When when your second of your two, pick 96, the second of your two third round, round picks, do you think about that there? Because no, no, because no a punter, no, a punter no. who can <laughs> the field like that field position is every, it can be everything, right? And field position has never been more important. Someone like that could be a weapon. Yeah, no, Mace, you're doing a good job making a case for the punters, but, uh, but yeah. no, uh, you, you can convince me to, to use a day three pick on one, but oh. a day two pick. That no, race would can't. be awfully fun to watch. <laughs> Man, if a punter is awfully fun to watch, uh, it just reminds me of the past six years. And thank goodness we don't have to worry about that. And one thing, a lot of people get scared by you saying Broncos using a third round. One thing that's also scary to a lot of people man, is going to the dentist. But our friends over at Green Mountain Dental make it a very stress-free process. Because right when you walk in, you get to talk Colorado sports with our friends over at Green Mountain Dental. They are die-hard Colorado sports fans. They're also die-hard DNVR fans. Been a member with us for a long time. They stop by the bar, and we go to them. And everyone we send to them has fantastic things to say. Because they are a family dentistry, and they're run like one. And if you sign up, for if you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush when you check out Green Mountain Dental. So, I mean, it's win, win, win. By supporting Green Mountain Dental, you're already, you're also supporting us because supporting our partners is supporting us. You're supporting a great family-owned dentistry and you get your teeth cleaned from great people and also get a free Sonicare toothbrush. So check them out, Green Mountain Dental. Also check out Evoca TV. Hey, if you haven't been able to watch the Nuggets or Avs games, you can watch them with Evoca. Evoca TV is a totally new paradigm for television delivery that is less expensive, more efficient, offers a superior picture to the legacy providers, and most important for you, the Colorado sports fan, they've got altitude. They've got AT&T Sportsnet Rocky Mountain, so you can watch every Avs game, every Nuggets game, Rapids game, Mammoth game, and, of course, those 4 and one Colorado Rockies. You can watch every game if you subscribe to Avaca TV. The service is now available in Denver, Colorado Springs, Phoenix, Boise, and Twin Falls, Idaho. So how do you sign up for Avaca TV? How do you get to watch all those Colorado teams. What you do is you go to Evoca TV, TV slash DNVR. That's E V O C A dot TV slash DNVR. Use the promo code DNVR and you'll get $10 off your first three months. So that's only 15 bucks per month for the first three months plus the cost for receiver. No contracts, 
No hidden fees. You can rent that receiver. You can purchase it up front. Either way, you'll be set, and you'll be able to watch every game played by all of your Colorado teams. Altitude, of course, like I mentioned, they got the Rapids. They've got the Nuggets. They've even got DU Hockey as well. You can watch that. You'll be able to watch, of course, the Broncos because they've got all the over-the-air channels as well. And, of course, like I said, AT&T Rocky Mountain because they've got They've got the Rocky. So check that out at Ivaca.tv slash DNVR and use the promo code DNVR and get $10 off your first three months at Ivaca TV. Let's check out our comment section, Mace. And for those that want their comments read on the pod, if you're tuning in live, you can leave us a super chat over on YouTube. We make sure to get to every single one of those. Or if you're tuning in on the podcast side or want to just get your comment read in the third section, go to thednvr.com. If you're a member of ours, go to the podcast tab at the top, click on podcast, then click on Broncos podcast. All of our comment or all of our past pods will show up and we're approaching 2,000 which is really cool right now. If you click on the very top one, that's our most recent one, We then scroll to the bottom and a comment section will magically appear. If you're a member, you leave your comment there and we will read that comment on the next day's pod. So Mace, let's do that and read the comments that have been left for today. First one coming in from some people call me the Space Cowboy says, over under the games it will take Russell Wilson to surpass Peyton Manning's total Broncos passing touchdowns. 70 games, just over four full seasons, not including the playoffs. So Peyton had 70 touchdowns as a Bronco, and he's setting the over under here at four seasons for Russell Wilson to get 70 touchdowns. Mace, what okay, are you well, taking? Well, his total number of touchdowns as a Denver Bronco um, was actually, let's just see here, 37 plus 55, so that's 92 plus uh, 39, that's uh, um, 131. So 140 touchdowns. Okay, so 140 touchdowns, that, and he's saying so he's, he's saying giving you 70 per, games. He's right. saying two touchdowns per game. I think that's fair. Um, And are you taking the over or the under that it takes four seasons? You think it'll be less than four seasons or more than four seasons? Uh, You mean 70 games or more than 70 games? Yep. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I'll flip a I'll flip a coin sometime and decide. <laughs> I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna or, or I'm gonna say it takes him less than 70 games to do that because Russell Wilson he averages over two touchdowns per per season, doesn't he? Or two touchdowns per game in his career, doesn't he? Or at uh, least of recent. Recently, he has yes. I don't know if if that's the case for his entire career. In fact, let's see if we can. He's he's played in 158 games. And he has 292 touchdown passes, so that is not two per game. However, in the last, and actually, and I think we lost Mace right there. But let's just look at the past five seasons for Russell Wilson. Oh man, it is close. In the past five seasons, Russell Wilson is averaging 33 touchdown passes over the 16 game seasons, which means he is averaging just over two passes uh, or two touchdowns per game on a 17 game schedule. He is averaging 36 passing touchdowns. And that again is in an era where he has been held back so severely in these past five years by Seattle. 
Seattle last year. He had the fewest passing attempts in the NFL. The Pete Carroll wanted to run the ball and not let Russ cook. Nathaniel Hackett is going to let Russ cook. This is going to be a pass-first offense with Javante Williams there. So the, Russ was able to get over two yard, two touchdowns per game in the past five seasons and an offense that didn't allow him to be him. Nathaniel Hackett is going to allow him to be him. So I'm going to take the over. I think Russ averages, boy, I think Russ is right around 40 touchdowns per per season uh, this year. So I, I'm saying the over uh, or the under for games because I think he has over two touchdowns per game. Okay. Yeah, I'm going. Well, I flipped the coin. It came up tails. I'm going under. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. He's got another scenario for us. Over under the games it takes Russell Wilson to surpass John Elway's total Broncos passing touchdowns. He says 150 games over under. That's about eight seasons. How many touchdowns did John Elway have? Was it 300? I don't know off the top of my head. I think John Elway had exactly 300 passing touchdowns with the Broncos, and that is right. He had exactly 300. So he's saying the exact same thing. Uh, do, well, I guess the first question, Mace, is does Russell Wilson, as a Bronco, get more than 300 passing touchdowns? Mm, I'm going to bet no. No. Okay. I'm going to say yes, because I think he gets about 38. He averages 38 touchdowns per season. And I'm going to say he plays for 10 seasons. So I'm going to say he he does it for 30. Uh, for He gets about 380 passing touchdowns, becomes the Broncos all-time leading passer. Uh, and what is that? That means he breaks it in just under eight years. So I'm going to take the under again. I think Russ is going to be hot with the stats. A lot of things can happen in eight years. That's why I'm going to take true. the under. Yep, it, it's very true. That That and, is true. And then he says and it finally. Yeah, yeah. The reason these over-unders exist is sometimes they're lower than you expect when you uh, see uh, the odds is because uh, they account for injuries. They do, you know, right. injuries and misfortune do happen. Exactly. And the, the good thing is, and Mace, I, I'm not disagreeing with your point, just trying to provide the counter here, is that Russ has only missed three games in his career. Again, something could happen. Peyton Manning had missed, what, no games in his career? One game in his career before the 2011 season, before he had four neck surgeries. So I, I totally understand that things can happen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he says, and finally, do you think Russell Wilson will end his career with the as the Broncos' all-time passing touchdown record? Well, I think so, because John Elway did that uh, with three. He's sitting there with the all-time passing touchdown record at 300 and like i said i think russ is looking at about 380 yeah i'm i'm gonna say elway keeps the record it's Fair. just russ turns 34 this year and i know he's got ambitions to, to, to play uh 10 to 12 seasons we'll we will see if if that uh if that comes to pass again a lot of things can happen and so i'm gonna i'm gonna bet the i'm, I'm gonna bet the that he doesn't just because like i said a lot of things can happen Mesa, in, in honor of our K today, I have a question for you. Instead of saying, we will see, do you think we can say, Wilson? We uh, will sin? <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. Too much. Oh, 
thank you, Allie. Thank you very much. Of course not. RK, we we missed you today. Uh, I think I think I think I'm being ganged up on. If I had RK, it'd be two two here. But had had to ask. Next one coming in from Vash, the man. He says, "My boys, what is up? Just wanted to tell you my story of where I was when I heard the news. I was walking back to my living room to fold some clothes when a phone went off, or when my phone went off. Aaron Rodgers resigns with Green Bay. I was so disappointed. I was thinking at least my boys will get me pumped about some draft picks we get. But then as I holding on to see if y'all drop some emergency pod, I get hit with the Broncos trade for Wilson news on my phone. I couldn't believe it. I went looking on every news outlet to see if it's true. By godly, it was. I went jumping and screaming, beep, yeah, through the house. Finally, when I calmed down, my mother-in-law looks at me and said, what's your problem? I tell her my I, I tell her problem. Nah, the only problem I have is that Broncos are getting another Super Bowl ring, and I better be at that game. Peace, love, and chicken grease. I'm out or let's ride. Here we come. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. These uh the, these stories always have uh someone in the house that's mad or confused at the person. And I absolutely love it. I love how much hooting and hollering it was. Probably probably the most hooting and hollering we'll see before free agency starts in a long time. This is this is one that's going to be a member for a long time. And so I love hearing the stories. Yep, exactly. And then we got more from uh we got more from Windy City Bronco chimed in yesterday. And chimes in again, says, thanks for the comment on my post yesterday about the NFL race and team ownership. It's certainly true that Walton's going to have a pretty easy time winning when he can get $5 billion out of his couch cushions. Going back to the NFL ownership rules for a moment, Mace talked about how the NFL is trying to avoid chaos in team leadership. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. What are they trying to avoid? From what I've seen, it's been the single wealthy owners of teams that have caused the most chaos. The Broncos are in limbo because we had a single owner. The possible forced sale of the commanders is because of a single owner. Well, okay. Before we move on, I gotta say, first of all, the Broncos don't have a single owner now because you still have John Boland, not Johnny Boland, but John Boland, Pat Boland's brother, who has a, a, a significant share of the team, and then they have the trust. And when the Bron- when Pat Boland bought the team, there were a lot of portions that were with other family members, and he gradually, as the asset increased in his and his liquidity incre- and he was able to find liquidity, he would buy out portions of the team from family members. And Washington, when Daniel Snyder bought the team, he w- there were two other significant investors, among others, in Fred Drasner and Mort Zuckerman, and others who were involved with with minority shares as well of the team and eventually he bought them out so when you're talking about the per the purchase here a lot of the, you know you just mentioned you know you mentioned these two examples well these these people but were able to buy the teams because you had m- multiple parties involved with it and so i don't think that that's necessarily the best example here yeah and and also w- with um, an an owner. There's it, whether it's one person that buys 100% of the team, uh, or a group that buys it. There's still going to be one person that that's a figurehead, and that one person. And from from what I understand, uh, what's his name? Why can I not think of uh the Washington Commanders owner right now? Dan Mace. Snyder. Dan yes, Snyder. Dan Snyder. He he doesn't own the entire Washington football team. Is that the or Washington Commanders? Right? Aren't there a lot of? Aren't there some minority owners as well? There are a few left now. He again, he's bought out most of them. Over and the so la- with, over the last with that, uh, though, two decades as the S has appreciated. 
but with that, he hasn't been able to stop, or the, the, the those other owners haven't been able to stop him from doing the things that he's done. So mm-hmm. I, I do agree with you that that's not necessarily the only reason or what, why things are bad is because there's just one owner running it. You have to have one owner. In fact, last year, it was Dan, Dan, Dan Snyder bought the 40% that wasn't owned by him last year that he completed that so they they only got to 100 percent ownership in 20 in 2020 2021 like because remember it made news when one of the minority investors is an, another fred i mentioned fred drasner fred smith fred smith the uh ceo of, Fe, of fedex and as things started to multiply there issues started to multiply fred smith wanted out from mm. from that ownership group so I don't so the the other thing the other thing that the NFL wants is they they don't want a succession issue and if you have a lot of pieces involved you can have some succession issues the ideal the the ideal thing is as is as few as you can possibly get and then a clear command and then a clear succession that's why as we talked about earlier if Rob Walton buys the team the, the first question that needs to be answered is, what is the succession plan here? Because I don't like the idea at all if Rob Walton buys a team of saying, okay, one child gets a third, one child gets a third, and my third child gets a third. That's that's a prescription for disaster. Just look at, the, at what has happened with the Tennessee Titans and the chaos they've dealt with on and off over the last 10 years since Bud Adams died and the team passed to his heirs. And then the commenter continues and says, how many teams go off the rails because they are inherited by an owner that just isn't up for the job? And that's kind of something that Mace just talked about, about that succession plan and how important that is. He says, it seems to me that having teams with large ownership groups or ideally community ownership would lead to less chaos, not more. The Packers organization has been steady as a rock because of their ties to the community. And, Yes, it would be really cool if the Denver community could buy the Broncos, but for many reasons, including the fact that the NFL just certainly will not allow that and has changed the rules and has grandfathered the Packers in, that won't happen. As cool as that would be, I would love to see it. It's just, that's just too much of a of a dream world, Windy City Bronco. And there's another thing, and if you're... If you're 45, 50, 55, you remember a time when the Packers weren't very good. And during those years, post Vince Lombardi, pre Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre, about a quarter century, a lot of the blame was put at the feet of ownership of, or of not having an owner of having the team be publicly held and and then having a chairman a, a chairman of the board and 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 effectively a a group of board directors kind of trying to run things the pa- the packers were you know i, I hate to, they weren't a laughing stock but they were a second tier franchise for a long a long time and then proving it's all about the quarterback brett Favre uh, walks in at the same time as mike holmgren and then they have aaron Rodgers. And they've been successful for the last 30 years. If you didn't have Favre and Rodgers, I don't think we'd be having the same conversations about the Packers' structure being a paragon of virtue and being perfect. 
one thing that that you have to have is or that it seems you have to have is someone that can take control and in that Packers time it seemed like there wasn't one person that could take control uh during these past almost decade with the Broncos it didn't seem like there was that one person that could take control now Joe Ellis had the power but there were a lot of questions throughout the past decade of is he going to do something because he he's not the owner, especially him? He didn't view himself as having that power. I mean, he's admitted it multiple times with, with changing the uniforms. He doesn't want to be the one to leave that legacy. He wants to leave that to a true owner. And we've seen that here in Denver, just how important it is to, to really have that one person that owns this. And so it's, it's a really interesting conversation. And I totally see where you're coming from. Windy city Bronco wanting to see uh, the NFL change their rules so that, so that there's more ownership options. And unfortunately the NFL just is not going to do that maybe ever, but especially before the Broncos sell. And I know we haven't talked about it a lot before this week, but the ownership process is really heating up. The, the people that want in are already in. Those doors are closed. We're not going to see any more owners come into this. This thing is really kicking up, and we're going to know in the next couple months who the next owner of the Denver Broncos is. Yeah, we will, and uh, that probably be finalized over the course of the summer. Yep, it certainly will be. And we're going to finalize this pod right now. But Mace, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Really appreciate everyone in the comment section. Jose, you're always a staple in our live pod. We really appreciate you. Really appreciate everyone tuning in on the podcast side as well. It means so much to us. And we're going to have a really fun show coming on tomorrow. So make sure to stay tuned. At noon, we'll be going live with our friend, D-Line Co. Eric Weedham. And thank you all so much for tuning in to the DNVR Broncos podcast. We will talk to you tomorrow. I know some landmarks we used to hit We're flying cotton
last time.